Our focal scripture this morning is Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of who I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would take this scripture and apply it to our hearts and to our minds. We pray that you would open our eyes to see the goal in front of us, that Christ Jesus would be our target and our aim, and that we would seek to press on to know him and be conformed to him. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, I don't usually do this, but I'll break the rule this morning. I'm going to start with an illustration from sports. It never happens. I'm not nearly the sports fan I used to be, um, but occasionally I still watch West Virginia University basketball. And a few years ago, they had this unique defense that was centered around a full court press, which meant all of the defenders would come all the way down the court and they would be everywhere creating absolute chaos through this relentless full court press. Uh, In fact, teams would often, as you know, maybe in basketball, you only have players on a court. Teams would often practice in preparation for West Virginia University with 10 players on the defensive side just to get an idea of the chaos that would happen when they played West Virginia. They were so successful at doing this for several years actually that they earned a nickname. Rather than West Virginia, they were Press Virginia. And teams would throw the ball away constantly due to this high energy pressure. Oh, it's that relentless energy, that sort of focused pressure, that tenacity that illustrates our passage so well this morning. It illustrates this aspect of the Christian life, this pursuit of Christ, pressing on to know him. In our passage, Paul talks about a life that is aimed at pressing into Christ, to know him and to be conformed to him, to grow in grace. 
And so the exhortation is simple. We see it throughout the passage several times. It's simply this, press on. Press on to know Christ. Press on to be conformed to Christ. Press on to grow in Christ-likeness. Press on in your faith. Press on because our real treasure is Christ. So we must keep our eyes fixed on him. So I want to jump into our passage and we can start right there in verse 12 in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he's speaking here of pursuing Christ. Now it's somewhat interesting that the word he uses here that's translated press on is the same word that he used back in verse 6 where he said I was zealous and I was a persecutor or pursuer of the church. That word persecutor is the same word. Word. So all of the dogged determination that Paul had given to persecuting the church, he now brings to the table as he presses in to know Christ and be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants to be like him and to know him. Notice how he explains this. He says, I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on because Christ has made me his own. Paul is pursuing the one who originally pursued him. Now, as some early commentators pointed out, if Paul, who is that great pinnacle, that exemplar of the Christian faith, says he must press on, how much more should we press on? And this is the command upon us this morning. Press on to know Christ. Remember the passage we read earlier in the service from Luke 9 where Jesus says that um, if you're going to follow me then you basically have to give up everything and he concludes that statement by saying this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It illustrates this passage so well. It uses this agricultural image of putting your hand to a plow and going forward, plowing a straight row. But looking backward is bound to lead to trouble. Looking backward can lead to a jagged uh, plow. It, it can lead to messing up all sorts of things. Or it can simply mean not doing the task at hand. The Christian life is like getting behind a plow and keeping our eyes fixed on the target, on the line ahead, not looking behind, not looking side to side, but pressing on. And Jesus has many ways of illustrating the same point. In fact, many of his sayings are known as his hard sayings, just like the ones we read today where he tells this man who says he wants to bury his father, let the dead bury their dead. These are the hard sayings of Jesus. We wonder what in the world is he getting at? In one place he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And he tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So if we treasure things here on the earth, that is where our heart is. If we treasure things in heaven where Christ is, that is where our heart is. The best things are yet to come. So it's necessary 
to keep our eyes fixed ahead, not deviating, not looking backward. And so that's what he means when he says, I press on to make it my own. Look at the next two verses in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul has this target in view. It's sometimes translated as it is here as this, this goal that he's pressing toward, this goal. But it's this idea of a target. Knowing Christ is his target. Being conformed to Christ, that is to be like Christ, is his target. Growing into the image of Christ, that's his target. He hasn't obtained it, he says. He says, I continue to press on so that I might grow in grace. Now, it's really important to emphasize that Paul is not talking about, in any sense, earning his salvation. He's not talking about, I press on in order that I might make it across the line. He's, he's not talking about that. Remember what he said last week. He said that salvation is based entirely upon a righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that comes from God through Christ by our faith in Christ. It comes exclusively through Christ. So that's how one becomes righteous. But now he's speaking as one who has come to that knowledge. Who has grasped the reality of what God has done in Christ. And now he's saying, here's what I do in light of that. Because Christ pursued me, I reciprocate by pursuing him. But now he's speaking of that. So that he might grow in righteousness. That he might become more like Christ. I want you to notice his language here in verse 13. He says, one thing I do. First, forgetting what is behind. And number two, striving forward or toward what lies ahead. So imagine him stretching to reach something above him. You, you have the image. That's it. Not worried about what's behind him, but stretching to reach something just out of his reach. He's not worried about what's behind. He's on his tiptoes using every ounce of his body's ability to elongate, every ounce of energy to reach forward and press on. That's the image. And this is an incredibly powerful image for the Christian life because it's a straining pursuit to know Christ. There is vigor behind this. There is actual energy behind this. Pressing in. And here's a question for all of us in this room or watching online. Does that characterize your life as a Christian? This straining pursuit. Forgetting what lies behind and instead pursuing Christ. Is Christ the singular target? I believe it was Leonard Ravenhill who used this analogy of Olympians. He said, they struggle and they strive for what? For a gold medal, right? That's the best it gets. A piece of gold and some recognition. But look what lies ahead for us. Look what's there. Look what the target is. It's Christ himself. And look how much more we ought to be striving and training and pursuing if people will do it for a gold medal, 
How much more should we be pursuing Christ? So Paul uses this pursuit word over and over again. He uses it here in verse 14. He says, I press on. Same word we saw in 6, same word we saw in 12, and now here in 14. You might even think of this as tunnel vision. For Paul, he has one pursuit in mind, one goal, one target. It's singular. And he urges all of us to the same pursuit. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So it's a mark of Christian maturity to think this way. That is, I haven't obtained it. I'm pressing on. He says, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will correct that. God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, this mark of maturity is the pursuit of Christ. In fact, the opposite can be said. It's a mark of immaturity for this pursuit to be absent. And Paul says God will correct this. If there is no correction, there's a sobering reality. That means there is great danger. Right? If God's not correcting it, and, and there's no pursuit, it means it hasn't clicked. Something's, something's not connected. So there's great danger. Again, I'll come back to this warning later in the passage. But just note how dangerous apathy and indifference are. There's a reason Christians have often labeled sloth as one of the capital sins or the so-called deadly sins. The idea of sloth is not simply laziness. It is spiritual apathy that isn't concerned with the things of God. So in the best case, if we just take these two verses here, they are issues to be corrected. But in a more serious case, they may reveal a failure to grasp the basics of the Christian faith. So he pushes his readers with this last part. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he's saying hold true to the faith that's been given to you. The faith that you've learned about. The faith that has been delivered from the apostles and now is yours to hold and cherish and nurture. This is the same thing that we must do. We stay committed to the faith of the apostles that we find in the New Testament. It is the faith delivered to us as Jude says. Our line has been drawn and here we stand on that faith. Only hold true to what we have obtained. And now, our obligation is to press on by fixing our mind and our lives on things above. Look at verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So we have examples before us. We have what Scripture calls a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. We have the saints in the New Testament. We have faithful believers who have gone before us. Some of your grandparents and your parents and people in this church that have gone on before us. All of those stretching all the way back to the very New Testament is a pattern for us to follow. And we can rejoice over those who have gone before us, those who have cultivated our faith. There's so many in my own life, people who have influenced my growth in Christ. And I know that's true of you as well. 
Their character, their conduct, and their habits provide us with examples. They show us what it means to be faithful. They show us what it means to hold fast to the faith that was given to us and is passed on to us century after century after century. And now thousands of miles away, here we are in the United States in the Commonwealth of Virginia celebrating that very faith that Paul's writing about to a city in Greece some 2,000 years ago. So imitate them. Keep your eyes on them. Now, this may seem off topic, but I'm in illustration mood this morning. So bear with me. Have you ever seen a squirrel fall off of something? And you say, oh, when in the world? We're talking about squirrels now. Um, they always land perfectly. I've never seen a squirrel miss their fall. Doesn't matter how much they're tumbling, they land perfectly. Well, through some research, I figured this out. When they fall, they do something that all good acrobatics know to do. And I wouldn't have a clue how to do this. My body's just basically a stiff blob that wouldn't turn or move. I would just land on my head. And I've done that before, if you're wondering. It's one of my concussions. So what they do, as with any good acrobatic, the very first thing they do when they're falling is they fix a place to land with their eyes. So it doesn't matter if they're upside down, they look and they find that spot. And that spot is where they're going to focus for the rest of the time because it's that spot that allows them to make micro adjustments with their body as they're falling so that they will land safely on their feet. So if you go home and look up on YouTube, squirrels falling in slow motion on YouTube, you can do all the research yourself and see that they do this every time. They keep their eyes fixed on that spot no matter how much they're spinning. And that's the key to everything. The Christian life is about fixing our eyes on a spot. That spot is, of course, Christ. Be an imitator of Christ. But it's also, as Paul says here, be an imitator of me because he's imitating Christ. So we learn from those who are mature in the faith. We keep our eyes on the target and we make adjustments while keeping our eyes fixed on that spot. That's precisely what Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, one of his other letters. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Then he says this, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it's like set your attention, your focus, your gaze on things that are above. Fix your mind on Christ. Now the practical question is what does it mean to fix our mind on things above? What's that actually look like? Well it seems the main point of fixing our mind on things above can be captured in a phrase heavenly mindedness. So our goal is that we would cultivate heavenly mindedness or a heavenly mindset. We do this through studying our faith, knowing it, of course, this is primarily done through engagement with Scripture, where we learn about our faith, where we learn about what God has said. All of this, by the way, is the heartbeat of our formation plan that we launched kind of this morning. We were in here at 9.30. It's my desire that all of us through that would form such habits that our faith grows. Look, I know everyone isn't interested in some of the deeper philosophical questions that, that theologians banter about but our goal isn't even to teach you some facts. Our goal is actually this. It's to cultivate a heavenly mindset. 
to fill your head with the truths of our faith for your growth and for your enjoyment and for our unity. It's so that you would be with Paul here, knowing what it means to press on to know Christ and maturing along the way. That's the goal of the whole thing we're doing. I would hope that you would meditate on the things of God so that your life becomes more conformed to Christ. That's what this heavenly mindset is. It's about thinking repeatedly about the things of our faith, the truths of our faith, so that we're shaped. It's really fascinating if you look at the research on the way um, what we think about affects our brain. Some recent studies have demonstrated that the sorts of things we fill our minds with actually remap our brains in a really important way. So meditating on the character and the attributes of God, especially his loving kindness, his mercy, his goodness, has been shown in human brains to create a more compassionate and kinder and merciful outlook from that person. Isn't that amazing? It actually remaps your brain. Meditating on who Christ is will shape us to be more like Christ. And this isn't a new thing. Christians have known this from the very beginning. I think that's exactly what Paul's talking about when he says, set your mind on things above. It's exactly what the psalmist talks about when he says, blessed is the man who doesn't follow after all these other things, but meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. It's all throughout Scripture that we would fill our heads with the truths of our faith so that our minds are shaped in such a way that we cultivate a heavenly mindset fixed on Christ. I might share a personal confession here just to help with the application. As a leader, I I get fixed on leading and pushing changes that I believe are necessary and healthy. And I stand by that aspect as part of my job. But the problem for me, as I'm reflecting on this sermon this morning, is I can so fixate on those things that I too lose sight of what's important. It's the story of Mary and Martha, if you remember that one. Martha is distracted with much serving, but her sister Mary is doing what? She's sitting at Jesus' feet, learning. Martha huffs and puffs until she finally blows up and says, Jesus, make my sister help me. But Jesus teaches her a lesson in priorities and in heavenly mindedness. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So as I reflect on this passage and look at Paul here saying, I press on to make Christ my own. For me as your pastor and as a follower of Christ, there's a priority that must take precedent. More important than my leadership skills or my vision casting or even my preaching or teaching is my devotion to Christ. I must keep my eyes fixed on him, pressing on to know him and be conformed to him. That's the most important thing. It's the most important thing I can do for you as a leader, but it's the most important thing that I'm called to do as a Christ follower. Now, perhaps you can sympathize because you may have distractions as well. Listen to how the text calls us to prioritize heavenly mindedness. We fix our eyes on Christ, press on. Now, why is this so important? It's important because, as I mentioned earlier, there is danger. 
There's danger that we might be led away from the faith. There is danger that we might be like those plants that are choked out by the cares of the world. That's a dangerous situation. There is danger that we will not be conformed to Christ and his cross, but rather we might become enemies of Christ and his cross. Look at verse 18. Paul says, for, that's the connection to verse 18 or 17, right? Imitate me, keep your eyes on me. Why? Verse 18, because there are many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's a couple of things going on. Now he says with tears, so it really could mean one of two things happening here. It could be that these people were once part of the Christian community and they've left. They've abandoned the faith. The cares of the world have got to them. They've been led astray. They're not pressing on to know Christ and this breaks his heart, right? He says, with tears I tell you this. Or, second option is this. It could mean that he grieves over the fact that there are enemies who can mislead those believers he cares so deeply about. And so he says it with tears because there's urgency here. Either way, he warns that there's danger. And keeping our eyes fixed on Christ is paramount because there are enemies who would distract us. There are enemies who would like to see us fall away. Keeping our eyes fixed is necessary because, as Jesus tells us, the road is narrow. It's easy to go off the sides. And their behavior, their priorities of these enemies of the cross of Christ points to a serious situation. Look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. Again, notice the urgency. This is serious. Why? Because their minds are set on earthly things. Do you see the contrast here? There are those who fix their eyes on heavenly things. And there are those who fix their eyes on earthly things. Those who fix their eyes on earthly things have made their desires or their appetites. What the text here calls their belly. Those things have become their God. In a sermon, the early church father, John Chrysostom, said the following. He said, let us build houses where? On earth. Let us procure fields on earth again. Let us get power on earth again. Let us get glory on earth again. Let us be rich always on earth. These are the ones whose God is their belly. You see it in their priorities. It's the same thing Jesus teaches when he says that a person cannot serve two masters. They're incapable of serving two masters. Why? Because either they will love one and hate the other. So what is the remedy for this earthly mindedness? How do we escape this danger that Paul talks about? Well, the remedy is realizing our place as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. The remedy is fixing our eyes on Christ. Look at verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice for him, he does not say our citizenship will be in heaven. That's not really the Christian hope, by the way, that once we die, we just go to heaven. As we'll see in the next verse, and as we saw last week, the Christian hope is more than that, so much better than that. The Christian hope is the resurrection of the body when Christ returns and renews all of creation. 
Heaven is shorthand throughout the New Testament for the place where God's rule is currently in full effect. So Paul says, our citizenship is now in heaven. We don't belong to the kingdoms of this world. To quote another church father, we are strangers and expatriates in the world. Christianity isn't linked to any earthly nation or government, no matter how good it may seem. And a Christian's primary identity is not in this world. It is with Christ, who is seated in heaven. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea here and think that I'm saying that we all float off to heaven without bodies. It's not what the text says, and that's not the Christian faith. So look at the last verse, verse 21. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Transformation will take place as we share in the resurrection. Bodies will be raised and Christ is able to do this because all things will be put under him as king. That's our hope and that's what we must fix our eyes on. That changes everything. Let me close with a few words of application here. Three points. First, we have a month during our Sunday school time to practice setting our minds on things above. We started that this morning. And if you missed this morning, it's okay. It's on our website. You can watch the video. But why, why would we do that? Like, what, what sort of batty idea did I get in my head to just undo how we're doing things with Sunday school, right? <laughs> well, here's why we did that. Because we're called to press on. There's, there, there's really no other reason than what this text says. My desire for you is that you would grow in grace. My desire for you is that you would grow in maturity. That you would come to grasp the faith even more. That you would hold on to it tighter and take greater comfort in it. And that it would sustain you. And that you would see its effects in your life. Sitting back and saying we already know all the stuff we need to know is not only immature, it is dangerous according to passage after passage in Scripture. We're just looking at Philippians 3, but if you really want to see a dangerous and alarming text, go to Hebrews 5 where the author of Hebrews says you should be teachers by now, but you're not. And then he talks about the danger of actually falling away because of the apathy and indifference. It's dangerous. And so it breaks my heart as a pastor that some have been so bold to say, we don't need this stuff. Some of it's a misunderstanding. But, but I'm trying to correct that now. We do. I need this stuff. I need to press into know Christ. So don't be led astray by those who would say that. Okay? I, I know they say that. You, though, don't be led astray. Fix your eyes on the goal ahead. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Don't be distracted by those who would walk as enemies of pressing into Christ. Press on. It's so clear. So I hope this month, just as one way that we're trying to do that, that you'll engage in our Sunday school hour. Because I think it's a gift and a privilege. Christians around the world travel hours just to get one page of the Bible in some instances. 
And we've opened up our church this morning for multiple hours. And we have access, every one of us, to the full, complete text of Scripture. And we have teachers to teach us, people who have been trained, and, and people who have gone to seminary, and great lay teachers who have spent their life teaching in the church. We have so many resources here, and they're here to help you. We have a privilege that should not be ignored. So I hope this text will serve as a sobering wake-up call from complacency. Second, the Christian year is upon us. So the Christian calendar doesn't run January to December. The Christian calendar runs the Sunday after Thanksgiving, or the first Sunday of Advent, through the Sunday before Thanksgiving, which is generally called Christ the King Sunday. So it tells a story. We begin with the anticipation of Christ's coming all the way to the moment when Christ is King. And we tell that story every single year in that pattern, depending on how m closely you adhere to the calendar. But we're in a time of year that is full of potential for pressing into our faith. So you've got this new Christian year turning over right around the holidays. You've got the holiday season. All of that's a great time. It's something like a New Year's resolution. It's an opportunity for you this morning to say, you know what? I'm going to press in this year. And this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to set a new intention for the holiday season and beyond. And I'm going to press on. And then third, I'll say this. I'm available to you to help you in any way I can to come up with a plan. So an aspect of my job is pastoral counsel and direction. So what I can do is I can help you come up with a plan. I'm, I'm like an eating coach or something like that, but not really. I can, I, can, I can prescribe certain things and practices to help you. If you come to me and say, hey, I want to learn to pray differently or I want to get into scripture, I can help you with that. Okay, that's what I'm here for. It's one of the resources at your disposal. And of course, our other pastors can as well. So our privilege as believers is to pursue our Lord who has called us out of this world into his kingdom. That's a tremendous privilege. May the Lord grant us the grace, endurance, and steadfastness to pursue him with a relentless zeal. We get to do something incredibly special here in just a moment. We come to the table this morning. And the table is this illustration of pressing in to know Christ and be known by him, where we're nourished by Christ. Now, in order to come to the table, you don't need to be a member of our church. The only thing we would ask is that you are a professing believer who has been baptized. Okay, that, that's just the, the sort of understanding we've come to in the New Testament. That's what our Baptist documents indicate. So when you came in, you should have picked up one of those little things. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But for now, let me pray for us. And after the service, if you have continued questions, we always want to extend that invitation to you. You'll find uh, some of our pastors lurking around. You can talk to um, some of them will be out this way and then others of us will be out front here. And we'll be glad to answer any questions. And if you don't catch us today, you feel free to send us an email or give us a call because we would love to show you what it means to press in to know Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll come to the table together. Lord, we are uh, humbled by this text because we're challenged by it. We know that there are all sorts of things that clamor for our attention in this world. But there is one goal that will outlast all things, and that is to know Christ. 
So, Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace, the endurance to press in, to know him, and to be known by him. Lord, for those who may not know Christ currently, I, I pray that you would open their eyes and hearts this morning. For those who are feeling just apathetic or indifferent or they're feeling sort of sluggish and unmotivated, I pray that you would quicken them by your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would use this month in our congregation to be glorified, to grow us, to challenge us, to unify us, and to cause fruit to grow out of our lives. That it wouldn't just be some facts learned, but it would be a way of diving deep into our faith so that we might mature and grow, and that we might be faithful witnesses in the world, that we might be disciple makers at every opportunity, and that we might know you and enjoy your presence and enjoy the knowledge of you and enjoy communing with you. And Lord, as we come to the table, we do so knowing that we aren't worthy in and of ourselves, but we're worthy because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We don't come to the table as those who have earned a spot, but we have come to the table as those who have been mercifully granted a spot. So Lord, I pray that we would find nourishment here as we remember the death and the um, sacrifice of Christ, but also as we're fed in some mysterious fashion by the truth of the gospel this morning. Lord, I pray that this would be encouraging and uplifting to each one who partakes. And I pray that it would be a witness to all those who may be watching us this morning as we partake in this ordinance that has been given to your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.